Good evening. Good to see you guys here. We are in 3 John, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open to that. 3 John, next week, it looks like we'll be starting the book of Romans, at least that's the plan. Um, I was thinking maybe I'll do Jude, because there's going to be one uh, Wednesday when I get back from La Paz where I won't uh, be doing the Wednesday. I didn't want to interrupt it, but I probably will. So probably, I don't know. Either do Jude or Romans, start Romans. But anyway, when we get into Romans, it's going to be, uh, it's going to get pretty real. Uh, we're going to get the whiteboard out and everything. We're going to get intense here. Yep, that's right. We're serious now. Not that we're not serious now. We are serious now. So, there John. There are four characters. I thought we'd have a little fun with this. There are four characters that are spoken about in Third John. Four people. There's the elder, which is John himself. There's Gaius, who he's writing to. And then there's Diotrephus, who's mentioned. And then there is also Demetrius. And so these characters are are playing a part in this short letter. We're going to read through it, and I want you to think about what role each of these people play. John, it's obvious, he's writing, and we know he's the apostle. And we talked about last week, in Second John, when it starts off the elder, and there's a lot of similarities as far as some of the lines that are here as there were in Second John. But the elder means the aged one. And so he's talking about himself and being a person of experience and one who has been uh, one of the 12, of course, uh, who followed and walked with Christ. And so let's read it, and then let's find out who... And what place each of these people play. Because that's really important. If we're going to understand what this letter is saying, we need to know who he's writing to, why he's writing, and what is the context that he's writing in. So let's think about those things as we read the letter. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality. So such people, so to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, But Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, 
Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does not who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much more to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Okay, so... First of all, Gaius is someone he's writing to. Why is he writing to Gaius? That's a question I want you to be thinking. Okay, who is Demet or not Demetrius, the other guy, the Diotrephes? Who is Diotrephes? What what role does he play? What position does he seem to play? Any thoughts? Let me let me give you a, a a little refresher. Remember last week we talked about there were the apostles, and then there were the evangelists, or they would be prophets that would travel from place to place, and the churches were meeting in homes. And then there were the elders who were stationed there at the church who oversaw those uh, communities in those areas, and so. Those are the roles that we're filling with these people. The apostles, the prophets or evangelists, and the elders. So, who is this guy, Diotrephes? What role do you think he's playing? Yeah, I want you to answer that, yeah. Yeah, no, I want you to think about Gaius's role, but I want you to answer this one. Who do you think Diotrephes is? A prophet? Do you think he's a traveling evangelist? Notice what it says in verse 10. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops these who are who want to do so and puts them out of the church. He would most likely take the position of an elder in the church. Now think about that, because this guy isn't spoken of very well. By John. Okay. As the elders we spoke about last week have to play a role of deciding who is really of, you know, God's Spirit speaking the truths that Christ has given, or those who are just trying to make money and traveling to try and get their own following, the elders then have a position of power. Diotrephes has such a position where he is actually able to cast people out of the church. So, even though this is disconcerting, it's so, I don't know, true to human nature, as we see this taking place, even the Apostle John had issues with other people in the church. 
I don't know if that makes you guys feel good or bad or just like, okay, I guess it was happening back then as well. And not only that, this elder was actually speaking against John. He's spreading malicious nonsense about us. I'm, oh my gosh, this is one of, you know, to us, it's like, how could anyone do that? But it would happen. And it would happen just like it happens today. You know, it's not uncommon in the Christian sphere for there to be gossip, for there to be malicious talk, for there to be an us against them mentality. Well, we're part of this denomination or we believe this certain way. And there becomes a lot of maligning that takes place because we want to be right. I think it's interesting that John says because he wants to be first, who loves to be first. In other words, he loves to be a person in position. And I think that's a telltale sign of something that we need to be careful of is if we want to be first. Whenever you have someone who's in a position of leadership, who wants recognition of that leadership, who wants to be first, then we need to be careful. Yes. Or your motivation and then also your character in that position, right? So Jesus, our example, who deserved to be first, didn't come to be served, but what? To serve. Said the first will be last, the last will be first. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be the servant of all. So that was the attitude that Christ had. But as people get into positions of authority or power, and it doesn't matter if it's in the business world or in the Christian world, there can be a tendency for that power to go to your head and it start to reveal more of what's in you. You know, it's been said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, but I think more accurately is absolute power reveals absolutely. Because Jesus had all power and it revealed who he was as he sacrificially gave of himself. If you have been given all kinds of power, it will reveal who you are with what you do with that power. And so when you see a person of authority using that authority to elevate themselves, then something's wrong. And those kinds of things should stand out to us, and we should take note of that if a person calls themselves a a pastor or a, a leader in a church circle, but we see them using people, elevating themselves, then that's kind of fitting this role that Diotrephes was. And this was in the early church. Problems were there. He was kicking people out because they would go against him. So... Now, let's talk about Demetrius. Who do you think Demetrius is in those categories that we listed? (laughs) He's a good guy. We know he's a good guy. So would he be an elder? No. Would he be like one of those evangelists? Doesn't say, but he's traveling. (laughs) No, he's my cousin. No, uh. 
he most likely is a minister who travels. Yeah, so he's probably gone to different places and spoken. He's probably being used by God to encourage the followers of Christ in different places. And so John is sending word out that this guy is good. Demetrius is good. He has my approval. No matter what Diotrephes says, because he's blasting everyone, because he wants to be first. Maybe he doesn't want anyone else teaching at his place of worship. Maybe he wants to be the only one who controls everything. I've known pastors that are like that. It's like, nope, I, I always speak. And there's never a development. The reason there's such a, a leadership crisis in the Christian church today is because those who are in leadership roles aren't helping others to fill that role. They're holding on to them. And I think that that's why there are a lot of pastors who are having to duplicate themselves through uh, video feeds. You know, you have churches that promote themselves with a, a video broadcast, not that it's bad or that the teachers are bad, but there's no one else taking that role and leading in that role. So they just kind of send their own, you know, teaching out to different locations. Yes. Yeah, everyone has responsibility. Everyone takes a position of responsibility. And for some people, it's hard to give up responsibility. I want to be in charge. Some people are just control freaks. They want to control everything. You know, I know that I could be that way. You know, one of the things that was important to me, I mean, many of you know that I came from a place where I was a worship leader. Well, I didn't want to control the worship, you know. And so, you know, Alex can tell you, you know, how many times do I tell you what songs to play? Never. Never. You know. I, so it's like I, I don't want to. I may make requests. And he hasn't played them yet either. <laughs> you know, and so I don't want to be controlling over what I'm releasing. How is Alex going to develop in his gifts in ministry if I'm the one controlling them? And that's the same with other people who teach. You know, I'm going to be at the man camp this weekend, so Michael Turner's going to be speaking. I'm not telling... Michael, what he has to say. I give him some options if he wants to continue in Genesis, because we're coming up to a really cool part in Genesis. If he wants to take that, I'll let him. I'll be bummed, but I'll let him. Or if he wants to teach something else, I'm fine with that. You know, And I don't have a problem saying, hey, why don't you continue this when we go through our um, core values? I want to have him teach some of those as well. And we're going to have some specific guidelines. But if I don't give him a chance to speak... You know, he won't develop and he's got a gift. Why wouldn't I want to develop it? It helps me and it encourages us and it helps him. You know, and so this phrase here, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, is very telling. It's very interesting just that he would spell it in that way. As he's a local elder at a church who didn't recognize John's authority. And so John probably said, hey, I want you to welcome this guy. And he says, no, I'm not going to. And then he probably saying, well, that John, you know, he doesn't know whatever he started saying about John. Apparently, he's being malicious in some of the things that he's talking about, spreading nonsense about them. 
And so it's kind of comforting to know that even in the first century, these things were happening. It's kind of sad, but it's kind of like, okay, I guess it's to be expected. I don't feel so bad. You know, when things start happening to us or someone says something about me, it's like, well, they said something about John. So I mean, good company. I'll take myself. I'll be on John's side, not Diotrephes' side. But we see that there was this problem at the beginning where people started becoming very exclusive. And again, that exclusivity is so, so dangerous. The minute we think that we have rights to something more than someone else, we're on dangerous ground. The minute we start thinking we are better or we are the us and they're the them kind of an attitude, something is wrong because God is trying to reach all of us. Yes, Cody. Yeah, and very much so, the whole idea of imitate what is evil. He's wanting Gaius to welcome this traveler, Demetrius, like other churches have, and not be denying him, which kind of tips the, the card to who is Gaius. Gaius is probably a person who the church meets in his home. Okay, he might be an elder in that church or something, but it's definitely a place where the church meets. And so he's a person of position in a local community. And John is writing to him, telling him, don't follow Diotrephes example. Follow a good example. Okay, instead, I want you to follow this. What is good? You know, imitate not what is evil, but imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God, which sounds like First John. And so he's really kind of putting Diotrephes in a, a certain light here. Even though he's an elder of a church, he's really saying that he's not following the example of, of God that has been revealed in Christ. And and you see, a true leader who is overseeing a community of followers of Christ must always remember that strength and gentleness go together and that leading and loving go hand in hand. Diotrephes, like so many leaders, had this attitude that might have been right, I'm going to be discerning, I'm going to stop anything that's false, I want to make sure that we don't allow things to infiltrate and cause damage. He probably had a good attitude, but he took it way too far, and he he forgot the things that were important and ended up putting himself as the authority, because no amount of strength can take place for love. So even the strength of idea, well, I'm going to make sure the church stays pure. That could be a great idea, but if it doesn't have a heart that loves, then it's a bad, bad thing. So a good idea can become bad if it's not done with the heart of love. Yes, Lola. Well, I I think hopefully we're going to (laughs) change. 
You know, I, I think there is unseen selfishness in all of us, and that has to change. I mean, Jesus, when he was talking uh, about divorce, he said, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. You know, when a person's heart gets hardened, they can become very unmovable in their positions. And it, it always amazes me. You know, a couple, they get married, they say their vows, they're committed to each other, and then all of a sudden, you know, things start going, you know, bad, and they say, well, you know, I don't love them anymore. You know, he's not the, the same person I married, or she's not the same person, I just don't love her anymore. And they've changed. And so, because they've changed, you know, the love has changed. Well, then, what's to stop the love from changing again? You know, and going back to you love them again. If it changed this direction, can't you continue to change? And when we don't recognize that our change also can bring us to a place where our hearts get hardened. I don't care if they change. I just don't want this. You see, I see Diotrephes was probably a very strong character. I don't see that a lot of people think. I think he had a lot of people on his side because he was probably very adamant about the things he stood for. He's probably very clear on the things he stood for, but he just wasn't very loving in how he stood for those things. We'll be more concerned with others than self. We'll be probably more aware. You know, every person is going through more than we recognize. You know, you think of yourself. I mean, there is... um, the other day, Corrine and I were, were going to do something, and I just saw her, and I just put my head, and I was actually crying on her shoulder because I was just tired and emotionally spent. And someone looked from behind us and said, oh, how cute. And they didn't know. It was really not a emotion. It was, <laughs> wasn't that cute. You know, it was an emotional moment. But in their mind, oh, look at how cute. And then, you know, I can't turn to them and say, no, it's not cute. I'm crying, you know. What what's happening is they just don't know the story that's going on in our life at that moment. And I don't know the story that's going on in your life at a certain moment or in that person who really annoys me's life, you know, or that person who has grown up in an abusive home, their life, and why, man, why are they so intolerable? Why do I have such, well, they're that way for a lot of reasons. What would happen if we knew all the reasons? What would happen if we had an understanding and a compassion like God to those things? Yeah, there's certain areas where people need to change, but then there's certain areas where God sees and knows more than we do. You know, and so those are the kinds of things that I think are important to recognize as we encounter people. You know, Diotrephes, what made him that way? I don't know, but he's still responsible for his actions. All of us are. No, no matter what our upbringing is, we're responsible because we know right from wrong and we have to deal with it. Okay? But, you know, that personality traits that are conflicting. Um, I think we're going to have more understanding not only of ourselves but of other people, and that's going to help us to deal with those things. You know, I, I think with this situation here, you know, and the conflict that there are between different churches and how churches deal with certain things, I, I shouldn't do this, but every now and then I listen to these teachings from 
churches that I don't agree with, and I, I shouldn't do it because whenever I do it, I get upset, right? And it's like, why am I doing this? You know, and it's almost like I want to get upset or something. I just have to, you know, I just want to see what they say about this subject, you know? And so I hear them talk about something, and it's like, oh, that's so aggravating. It just gets me aggravated. And I find myself being upset with them because of the position they hold. And I know they would do the same with me. You know, if they were to listen to my teachings, gosh, who knows what they'd say. And, and so, you know, those kinds of conflicts happen. I'm okay with people disagreeing. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people doing things differently. I'm fine. I, I mean, I have friends who I would love to see come to Genesis, who go to other places of worship, and I'm okay with that. You know, because I know God works in different people's lives and in different things. I have a hard time when people start like Diotrephes, slandering others, being malicious, and stopping the work of God taking place in other people. And I think there there is a line that you can draw in some of these places. You know, if someone believed that I was, and I know people do, believe that I wasn't teaching the truth, you know, if I was, you know... Uh, misinterpreting the scripture and causing people to err in their life with Christ, well, yeah, they would have a right to be upset, you know. But if it's something that, well, I just disagree, or if it's something I'm tearing them down and stopping them from connecting to God, that's what I think God is upset about. That's what Jesus was upset about in the temple. When he cleared the temple, they were hindering people from coming to worship and pray. Okay, And so if I'm going to hinder people from getting to God, then there's reason to get upset and there's reason to stop. And that's what I think Diotrephes was doing. Cody. Yeah, how it's dealt with is sad. You know, going back to the verses that were preceding that we were talking about before Diotrephes came into the picture, you know, in verse 5, he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers. So he, he's being good to these people who he doesn't know. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. And then verse 7 says, It was for the sake of that, the name that they went out, receiving the name being Christ, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to, therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. We've talked about this recently, I don't remember when, but hospitality is one of the character traits that's required for an elder, is that they be hospitable. 1 Peter 4.9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's funny that what is required of an elder or a leader in the church isn't that they really know the Bible, Pick someone, yeah, they're supposed to be able to, you know, understand and have, they're not supposed to be a novice. But he doesn't emphasize, find someone who is educated, who's scholarly in these areas. Find someone who's hospitable. Because that is important. And remember, the way the church was at this time, they traveled and met at homes. That's how they learned. Paul would go from place to place to place. If he wasn't welcome there, what is he supposed to do? He's traveling, serving God. He's depending on this. 
So are people like Demetrius or others. They're depending on the goodness of the other saints to help them out, support them. And they're going into their homes. And so this doesn't, we have to keep that context too. So it doesn't mean, well, if a stranger comes up to me, do I have to let him in my home? Because it says here, you know, he welcomes people who are just strangers. Well, no, not it's not the same scenario. If someone comes knocking on your door, say, hey, yeah, I'm a, a follower of Christ and I need a place to stay. Can you let me? It doesn't mean you have to. Okay. You need to be wise. But hospitality should be a character trait. You know, I, I got a call, gosh, about a month ago from uh, someone who was a part of Genesis a while back. And her and her son had gone into some difficult times, and she called saying she needed a place to stay. And if I knew, and it's like, I don't have a place, and I I don't know anyone's house, but I know at Foothill Family Shelter, they can help give them a call, and maybe they can help you and your situation out. She called me just this week and said, I just wanted to thank you because out of 64 people, we applied and then they called us back and then it was out of like 18 people, we had to do an interview with these people and talk to them. And out of those 18 people, we had to sit down with another six people and then we had to have a drug test taken. And then out of the four homes that were available, we got one of the homes. Okay, and so, yeah, it's like, great, and how sweet that she called to thank me. You know, all I did was say, these people can help you, because that's what I could do. I couldn't put her up in my house. She she would leave in a minute, you know. She'd say, yeah, no, thank you, I'll go somewhere else. You guys don't sleep ever, and this house is crazy. And so she found help. There are things that we can do, but i got to be hospitable, Got to do what I can to help her, and fortunately, it worked out well for her. Yeah, we want to be a part of that, definitely. And so, you know, we do to some degree, and I think we can more. Um, And so hospitality is supposed to be a a trait, and that's what he's talking about doing and imitating what is good compared to what is evil. Well, that's the hospitality versus Demetrius, who was just very uh, malicious and very pushing away people who were in need and not helping them out as they did at that time. Okay, And so it's real important that we recognize those things as they're taking place in that way. And so as he goes, again, he concludes that he wants to see him again. He's not going to talk to him very much further. Um, a lot of things, again, similar. He starts off with a very typical greeting. I pray that you would enjoy good health and that all would go well with you. That was a very common greeting at that time. A lot of writers, not even, not just uh, Christian writers, would start off their letters in that way. It was kind of a blessing that you would send to people. And so that is very similar, that they walk in truth is similar to First John, very important, and that he would see them soon and talk face to face. All those things are similar to the first letter that was written that we spoke about there. What I love about this letter is, again, the authenticity that we see in the dynamic of relationships that takes place and that Paul is encouraging this Gaius to lean towards hospitality, towards love, and not towards being stubborn and malicious. I think that's kind of what we can get the takeaway from this. 
Any thoughts or questions on this? Yes, Cody. Yeah, it is. It's a it is a very general um, phrase. There was a number of quotes I saw from pagan writers that were very similar. That you would be well. That your soul would do well. Um, but it's beautiful, you know. And, and so it is a great thing, you know, that you would be prosperous. That your soul, you would do well, even as your soul is doing well. And so it does give just that idea of you know you're in a good place. So yes. Similar. Yeah, it's similar. It's a general, this is how you open a letter, and this is kind of how you close a letter. It's, you know, courtesy. It's, you know, being not hospitable, but just being kind in your words for them. Like, you know, yeah, kind of greeting them in a way that's, you know, also encouraging to them. You know, hospitality was a big deal at this time, in this period. Ends at that time paying for a place to stay was really not something that was common. They didn't have hotels like we did. Inns actually were thought, I think it was uh, Aristotle wrote about the inns, that they are thieves that hold you captive, you know, and make you give money and re- to leave. I mean, he, he, inns were just thought of in a very derogatory way, and they weren't very nice places at that time. And so what people would do would go to other family members, Friends or friends of friends, and it was common to say, okay, yeah, your cousin from so-and-so, oh, yeah, by all means, you're welcome here. And that kind of thing develops so that they know, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to be coming. Oh, okay, we'll make sure that they're welcome. And it was just a way of life back then. And we've very much detached from that way of life now. It's very, you know, difficult for us in keeping tabs with all these things, and we've become very secluded. I think so. When we went through that book um, right here, right now, last year, it talked about how families are getting smaller, but homes are getting larger. You know, before you would have eight people living in a two-bedroom house. And, you know, the kids would all sleep in one room. Now every kid needs their own room. Yeah, they need. If they don't have their own room, you're being, you know, mean. And so we're coming to a place where we are requiring more and more space. We're becoming more and more secluded and wanting more space to ourselves. And it's kind of a change in society and seeing how that happens. And are we better because of it? Are we happier? Are things, you know, good? Are things moving in a better direction? You know, those are some interesting. Um, Yeah, it included the whole family, grandparents to the grandkids, depending on if they could move out. I mean, if you got married, you were supposed to start your own home you know, move to your own place. Um, But, yeah, the idea of children honor your parents wasn't for, you know, little kids to honor their adult parents. It was for adult kids to honor their adult parents. That's the whole idea of that. And so that, that was very much a part of the society. There weren't hospitals. There weren't hospices. There weren't homes to take care of. Again, sometimes putting your elderly parent into a place of facility is the best thing you can do for them. Sometimes it is. You know, so just because, well, they didn't do it in the Bible. Well, they didn't have these places at that time, just like they didn't have hotels. 
You know, we're going to La Paz, and a family said, oh, you guys, you're welcome to stay at our house. And it's like, well, that's nice, but there's a hotel. I'll stay at the hotel, you know. And I don't have a problem with that. It's not like, you know, I don't like the family. It's just like I'll be more comfortable probably at the hotel, you know, than Gabe and I going and staying at this family's house, you know. It, sure, it'd be fine, and we're going to spend a lot of time with them, but it's not like it's necessary because in the Bible times, that's what they did. And it's important to recognize that, you know. If there's a nice hotel and there's a room that you have to share a bathroom with 12 people, well, you take your choice. I'd rather stay in the hotel, you know, that kind of a thing. Definitely so. I mean, even in the United States, you'll have a family coming from, you know, a different country, and there will be, you know, a lot of people living in that home, and that's just how it is, you know. But let's not romanticize those things, too, because there was a lot of conflict back then, too. You know, you know, family, brothers and sisters all sharing one bathroom, that causes a lot of fights, I'm sure. Yeah, so. Our family has never wanted for food. It, it is, I think it's Italian, you know. It's that comedian, he said, you know, the... The kid, the Jewish kid down the na- block, you know, he's going to school. The mom comes out, don't forget your books. The Italian kid, he's leaving for school, don't forget your lunch. <laughs> you know, that was. Well, we digress. Uh, any other questions or thoughts on this letter? Cool little letter, again. So next week, we'll either do Jude or jump into Romans. I think it might be time to go into Romans. It didn't happen to me. It happened to Corrine. Yeah. As as in the room, she was in the bathroom while I hear smash. Like she goes, I just touched it. And <laughs> the sink fell down. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I do thank you, God, for again uh, the importance that we learn from these scriptures, Lord, the importance of hospitality, the importance of caring for others and how it is considered good and walking in truth. It is exemplifying you, Lord. We are representing you in your name. And so, Lord, I pray that we would always be people known for our hospitality, known for our love, Lord, that we would be generous in that way, God. And Father, even in those areas where we disagree with people or a person's lifestyle, Lord, we never have the right to not love them or show them that love. Father, you accepted us while we were sinners. Lord, you accept everyone right where they're at. And you desire to change our lives continually and change their lives. Lord, may we never forget your grace and mercy in our lives. And may we extend that grace and mercy to everyone we meet. Thank you again for this time, Lord. I pray that you would bless the men this weekend, Lord, that it would be a great time, that it would be encouraging. Lord, I I pray for my boys as they're going, Lord, that you would work in their hearts as well as mine and all the guys who will be there, Lord. Uh, Thank you again for this opportunity. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.